Hello, everybody. Welcome back or welcome to the show. I'm Ashley Adamson, a sports broadcaster for the Pac-12. I live in San Francisco and I am a mom to two young children, a four and six year old. And I will say my mom told me when I was growing up that my favorite thing to do was talk, which is why a podcast with no time limit, no producer in my ear telling me that it's time to wrap and that we have to go to break has been like such a wonderful, beautiful medium for me. And I've really, I've really enjoyed it. So that said though, I am very lucky to have a producer on the show. You've heard from her in our first couple episodes, but she's got the spotlight today. And I'm just going to read you a brief bio and then welcome in the one and only Betsy Bloom. Um, but Betsy, an only child with an active imagination, she spent much of her time reading and inventing stories. In middle school, she was inaugural member of the club Spin a Storytellers, and she still has a t-shirt to prove it. I look forward to seeing that. Her love of language continued through her time at Colgate University, where she earned a BA. And after graduating, Betsy worked in book publishing, where she engaged with literature in a new way, working directly with authors. And meeting Judy Bloom remains a career highlight. We'll talk to her about that as well. Uh, Betsy left publishing to earn a master's in literature from Middlebury's Breadloaf College of English, where she spent four summers studying stories, writing essays, and consuming obscene amounts of Vermont cheddar. She also met her husband through the program, which is actually how I know Betsy, which we'll get into that. Uh, while earning her degree, Betsy made a career transition into teaching English. Seven years later, it remains her most challenging and rewarding professional experience to date. Betsy and her husband reside in Buffalo, New York, where they are currently renovating a 100-year-old home, binging the Great British Bake Off, and testing the area's best wings. That's like the best introduction of all time and the best bio. So with that, we welcome in Betsy Bloom, executive producer extraordinaire. I, and I just have to say, Betsy, first and foremost, like you have a Hollywood name. Like How have you not had your own show yet? Betsy Bloom... When Mac, your husband, first told us about you, I was like, there's no way that B Betsy Bloom, like, that's a character in a movie. There's no way that's a real person. Yeah. He, you were like, you're making up a girlfriend again. <laughs> Here we go again, Mac. Be Betsy Bloom, sure. He was like looking out at flowers and he was like, yeah, and Bloom. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, uh, it, and your, your, act, your first name, and I only know this because of your, your email address, is Elizabeth. Yes. So how, have yes. you always been Betsy? I've always been Betsy. Um, it was my mom really liked the name Elizabeth and my dad made the like sort of he was like only if we can call her Betsy. Um, and so that was the agreement that they came to. Um, but yeah, I uh, I haven't changed my name, even though I got married because it's just too good. I was it's like, too good. I'm I was so <laughs> I am so glad that you didn't. And I, and hold strong because Betsy Stevens, like it just doesn't have the same ring to it. So thank you for staying strong as we talked about with Chantal uh, in our last episode, like changing your name is a thing. It it's, is. Yeah, I know. And I, when we went to get our marriage license, they were like, make a decision right now. And I was like, I didn't know. That. <laughs> expecting that. So yeah. Um, made the right yeah. <laughs> which I guess we should start with how you and I met, um, which is through. So your husband was the best man at my wedding, Mac. And he's one of those, he's my husband's best friend. And he is one of those people that like the first time I met him, I'm like, who are you? <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> <laughs> like what, what is going on? And I was laughing so hard because you said this the other day, and I think it's the perfect way to sum him up. 
when you were like, yeah, I always thought I was going to like date all these different types of guys. And what did you say? It was like, you thought you were going to yeah, date. Yeah, I was like, I want to date like an athlete and a cowboy and a writer and, and a nerd. <laughs> and you didn't have to date multiple people. You got all of those things in one. I did. Very, he's That's like an onion. Package. Max yeah. Stevens is like an onion and we love him dearly. So I'm thankful to him for bringing you into my life. Uh, and what's funny is that, you know, I, like we've met and hung out maybe in real life, like two or three times. Yeah. One of which was at your wedding, which, you know, you had some other stuff going on than like <laughs> hanging out with me. Funny. But I mean, I that was the most important part. <laughs> but I always felt like, and, you know, maybe a little bit of a creeper and you were probably like, oh my God, who is this girl? But I told my husband, Chris, I'm like, ever since like being at your wedding and, you know, you get a real, obviously intimate sense of, of people when you get to hear their closest friends and family talk about them and see how you were that day and, and your vows, which I've talked about, were like the most amazing thing in the world. But when I was starting to figure out, like, I know that I want to start the storytelling company and I don't exactly know what it is or what it looks like, but there's one person who just like keeps coming up in my mind of, I need to call her and see if she'd be willing to do something with me. And I don't even know what it is or what the ask is, but I just want her to be involved on some level. Like it was you. And Chris said to me, he's like, just call her. Like, do, and I remember texting Mac, like, would Betsy be weird if I reached out? So thank you for not being weirded out by me. I really appreciate it. Cause it wasn't like we knew each other all that well. And we have gotten to know each other a lot better over the last couple of months. So I appreciate uh, you saying yes, even though you had no reason to. Well, I don't agree that I had no reason to. And thank you for asking. I mean, I felt the exact opposite way. It was kind of like, I felt like our husbands were like setting us up on a play date. Like, and I was like, oh my God, I'm so like, she wants to hang out with me. <laughs> and I just want to say officially, thank you for asking. Thank you for asking me to be on. And thank you for asking me to take on this role as executive producer, because it's, you know, you you feel like you're on one career tra trajectory and and it's really amazing to have the opportunity to explore the skills that I've developed in a different way. And every element of this has just been enlightening and enriching and energizing. So oh, thank uh, you for asking. Well, that fills my cup deeply. And I do think, um, you know, and let, and let's talk about what, you know, your kind of career and your path, because it is interesting, like timing is everything, right? And we've, yeah. we've talked about it where... You were you work as a teacher in Buffalo, New York right now. And last year you were full time. You teach high school sophomore English. So I last year I was teaching freshmen, juniors, and seniors. Wow. Um, so everyone everyone but the sophomores I had actually <laughs> exposure to. And and it was a lot, I imagine. Yeah. Like it's I think teaching the full schedule can be very demanding and very exhausting for a lot of different reasons. But you made the change this year. You decided that you were gonna reduce some of that schedule. Is that, do I have that right? Yeah. I, I made the decision. Um, at first I was like, and we've talked about this a little bit, but after the pandemic, we've, we were all so burnt out and everyone mm. was burnt out for different reasons. If you were a mom, if you were a health professional, if you were just a, a human being living in the world at that time. But I felt so burnt out that I was like, I, I don't think I can do this anymore. Um, and I went and spoke to my principal and she was like, what if you went down to part-time? Which I still, it was such a generous and thoughtful offer of her because there are so many people that would just be like, okay, we'll find someone else. Yeah. Um, and I, I spent a lot of time thinking about it and decided to. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to teach part-time and I have no idea what else I'm going to do. Um, and that is really out of character for me to, to feel comfortable stepping into the unknown. And then you called and I was like... <laughs> Hello. I was just 
I was just waiting. I'm like the girl in the window, just like, okay, when is she going to, all right, good. Things are falling into place. Perfect. Now. Okay. Well, I was like writing in my diary, like <laughs> when will, <laughs> when God, will just give me a sign. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It was like, if you want me to do something else, give me a sign and then my phone rang. <laughs> but yeah, so it was, it felt very serendipitous. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, there was a little bit of imposter syndrome when you first brought it up to me, but I, I feel so much more comfortable now as we've been going into it. And I'm just, I'm grateful for living a little bit in that unknown because it opened up a lot of opportunities. Amen. And I feel so much that, you know, when I, when Lisa and I started this podcast last season, it was really scary, right? Because you're starting something that you don't, it's totally out of your comfort zone. And even if you sort of think you have the skills, like you just don't know all the ins and outs and you've got all this advice. And and what you realize is that like, just let that go and just go start doing it. And so much of, especially as I've gotten older, I don't know, you're, I'm, I'm older than you. So maybe you're, I'm assuming that you've like started to experience this, but all of a sudden I'm in the like age bracket where I look around and instead of being the one, you know, like, trying to, ooh, who can you introduce me to there? That, like my, our friends are the ones that are doing all the cool shit. Like they're the ones yeah. that have the jobs and that are running the show. And that, and I'm like, okay, this is kind of amazing. Like it's, you know, we've been in the workforce long enough and you realize that I used to have this view of people who, you know, were executives and who were high up in senior level management of being like, man, they must be like, right. they must have it all figured out. They have something else. They have a special sauce that there I will never. Something about that. And then you like become those people that, and you're like, oh no, you're just a human trying to figure it out like the rest of us. Like you, you're smart, sure. And like you work hard, but like so, sort of a lot of other people and we're all just a bunch of humans trying to figure it out. So yeah, I think I'm really grateful for what like the space that this provides because you know, if you, again, if you've listened to the first couple episodes, like, you know, that the season of the show looks different than season one. And yes, we're still like celebrating and focusing on motherhood as sort of the core, but like the lens is wider now. And I think a lot of that is because of everything that we learned last year. Right. And it was around like how much moms sharing their stories, like how much it mattered. And it's interesting when you were talking at the beginning about like how grateful you were I, and you said, thank you for asking Chris Darnold, Sam Darnold's mom, she was our very first interviewee. And she said at the end of episode one, something that has like stuck with me to this day. And this was whatever, a year and a half ago, almost two years ago. She said, we were thanking her for coming on. She just said like, she like grabbed my hand. She was like, thank you. Like, thank you for asking because nobody ever asks. And I was kind of like, whoa, I think that was like deeper than just a thank you for asking to come on, you know, thing. And right. what I realized when I asked her about it and she was like, just no one ever like asks about my story. It's always about Sam and which is great and it should be, but it was really wonderful to be able to sit down and like have these conversations and go back into the memory bank and think about all that stuff. So I, I only have that very long winded way of saying you and I got to do this. What on Monday, like two days ago, Yeah, we yeah. got to sit down and I got to interview you in a really, to me, meaningful way that was kind of like the prototype as we're developing this storytelling company and what it's going to look like. And I guess I'm just curious for you, I don't, maybe you have had someone sit down and ask you those questions before, but as you like look back on what that was, uh, I mean, you have to say it was enjoyable because you can't tell me that it wasn't now. <laughs> I'm the one asking the question, but like, was it interesting really to you to be able to go back and look and think about some of that stuff? 
Yeah, you know, I think that, and we talked about this a lot when you have been talking about this idea of like, we should just be getting people's stories, gathering people's stories, because both in the telling of your story, you understand yourself better. And then in the hearing of other people's stories, you understand other people better. Um, And so I think it's sort of a similar idea of like, who am I to deserve to tell my story? And then if you flip that and like what Chantal was saying, like, what if it was the opposite? Like, why shouldn't my story be told? And so I had to sort of like pump myself up, like, no, you have interesting things to say. Um, Similarly to like the CEO isn't that much smarter than you. They just do it. Right. Um, And so it was really rewarding to feel worthy of telling that story. And, And I think that a lot of what you're doing is like demystifying that process and reminding people that everyone's story is important and everyone should tell it both so that other people can hear it, but so that they themselves can hear it. Um, and so, you know, it just felt really gratifying. You said that better than I've been able to say. I'm going to have to have you be the one that gives all of our elevator pitches because that's much, a much more succinct version than anything that I've been saying. Uh, but I have just like, have just like diluted everything you said. Like, I'm like, no. this was my idea. You simplified it, which is at the core of what we all, I, what I need to work on. Uh, but I do think that you, I mean, you, you've said it perfectly. And one of the things that I have discovered through having the career that I've been lucky enough to have in broadcasting, and I've interviewed all sorts of different people. Um, but this notion that like, why is it that there's a small subset of people who get to decide whose stories are told, right? Like, why is it that the Hollywood executives, the, you know, journalists, the publishers, the writers, they all, yes, are great at finding stories, and we're all better off for that. But Every single person on the planet has like unique sacred stories that are their own and only that they can tell. And until you get asked about it, you like don't think that it matters and you don't put your story into a larger context and you you don't take that time to reflect. So I, right. I interviewed a firefighter yesterday in um, San Francisco and he was like, he's a, he was a mutual friend. He's a brother-in-law of a good friend of mine. And I could tell he was kind of like, what, what did I agree to do? Like, what are we doing here? And at first he, and he told me afterwards, he goes, I was really nervous for this. And he goes, and that was so, it was like cathartic to really think about and talk about some of this stuff. And, and, and he goes, and no one's really ever like asked me about it. And I said, yeah, we save all of these stories for when people aren't here anymore. And we need to not do that. We need to not do that. So, um, yeah, I, I appreciate that. And I think one of the things that, you know, and we talked about this when I was kind of getting your story, but your role now as a teacher and your love of story from mm-hmm. like when you were a little girl. So just, I mean, to kind of like set the scene of how you got into the track and fell in love with language and storytelling, like when, when did it first become a thing for you? Yeah. I mean, as far back as I can remember, I've loved stories and I don't know, know if we got into this, but like I had such a vivid imagination that I would have imaginary conversations with characters from the books that I was reading, but like I couldn't like imagine that I was not in my bed. So it would happen like as I was falling asleep. And so in every situation, I was like very sick because I was in bed, <laughs> but I would be having conversations and I would be like, I so wish I could go to Narnia, but I'm not feeling well. Like it was like this like weird liminal space. I am loving um, this. So that was one of my first memories is just like imagining that I was part of these worlds. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that, yeah, I mean, as I said in my vows, like it made me feel 
like that those worlds were possible, those feelings were possible, those emotions were possible, those connections. Um, and I, I, I think it made me idealistic, which has in some cases led to disappointments, but in other cases led to me like holding out hope for those things, those possibilities. Um, and that's what I really want to bring to my students is like you can live the life that you have dreamt about or read about. Um, and, you know, even as we were just thinking of, or talking about this, I was thinking about like when you're in school, you spend so much time absorbing stories, telling stories, being told that your story matters. And then you become an adult and like no one asks you again. And it's like, why do like, why do we stop? You know, I want to know so much about my students. I want them to write and share and journal. And then it's like, okay, but once you graduate from college, like no one will care about that anymore. <laughs> I that resonates so much with me, Betsy. I was listening to um Andrew Luck was giving a keynote speech at this event that I was at over the summer. And he was saying that the thing that sports teaches you the most is like it sets up a space for you to fail where like failure is part of it. Right. And that sets you up for life, which is great. He said, the problem is life doesn't also come with the coaches who are there to help you through that failure. And it's the same thing in with teachers and like school. It's like we we do all these things and then say, oh, this is going to prepare you for the real world. But then you get out there. And all of a sudden you're like, wait, <laughs> but all the stuff that you just said now isn't reality because there's nobody right. else there. Like I, I, so I, that really resonates. And I think that probably one of the hard parts is, well, what was it like for you when you transitioned from being in school and you, you know, you obviously have gone to more school than most people and the yeah. time that you had at Breadloaf, like being out in the real world compared to like being in the cocoon of, of education, was it a hard transition? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I was actually, I think I was thinking about when I was listening to your conversation with Chantal about like, why are we the way we are? And I think that for me, like I really, you don't get a grade when you're um, doing a job. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you get a performance review, right? But it's not like you're just like getting that constant positive reinforcement. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, like I think that I was always like, am I not, am I doing a good job? I don't know if I'm, how, how am I to know? <laughs> like, and it's like, you don't how get a sticker every day for like being on time. Like it's just expected. I'm going to start grading you at the end of every, like just at the end of every episode, I'm going to give you a grade. Is that, would that well, feel validating or would that be helpful? Um, when I was first working at Simon and Schuster, they had this blog called Off the Shelf, where they had people who worked in the publishing industry read a book that they hadn't read before and talk about it. And so I read a separate piece because I had never read it in school, and people kept being like, "How have you never read it in school?" And I was like, "Okay, fine, I'll read it." Um, and so when I was reading it, I kept like thinking about how I would write an essay about it, and then I determined that I, of course, didn't have to do that. Um, and that was what my blog post ended up being about. Oh. Like I was like, it's so enjoyable to read something and not get graded on it. And then the first comment was from this man that just said B minus. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> um, that's amazing. Okay. This is a little bit off track, but I just feel like it was such a good story that came out when we were talking the other day that I just want it to be out in the public. Can you please share the story of your Harry Potter competition? Yes. So I, in the, when my mid twenties, which is like already like, you're like, can you talk about Harry Potter? I'm like, yes. As an adult, um, I 
was joined this like quiz app that had all sorts of categories and one of them was Harry Potter and I challenged the number one Harry Potter player in the world to a uh, quiz and beat him. Like did you challenge him because you just felt such confidence in how much you knew about Harry Potter or were you just like this will be hilarious if I can beat I him? I think I was like this will be hilarious. Yeah. I was like there's a chance but I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. I think he's the best in the world. Um and so I beat him and my roommates then threw me a party when I got home. As they should have. <laughs> As they should. Uh-huh. And was um, it like Harry Potter themed, I hope? And- yeah, it was Harry Potter themed. Yeah. There was a poster board. Um, I'll send you a photo of it. Okay, I'd, it I'd was, like that. Yeah. It was gratifying, but I also was like, as you said, like, I deserve this. This is a huge accomplishment. <laughs> like, Duh. Um, there should be more people but yeah. here, really. But. <laughs> One of my roommates took my phone and taunted Carson, who was the number one Harry Potter player in the world, and said, like, who's the real Harry Potter fan? And he responded immediately, anyone who's read the series, you dumb bitch. I mean, Which, Carson, like, like, kind of a good burn, Carson. Like, I mean, I didn't respond. I was like, okay, yeah. Oh, yeah. Did you just, like, like it? Like, <laughs> I don't even – this was, like, pre that, like, you could pre, like, like something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I remember feeling like oh, really disappointed God. that like s- someone who loved Harry Potter so much was also like, but it didn't, I mean, I, I guess did. I was like exposed to the misogyny of the online gaming. Community. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think maybe you weren't ready for that. that was, yeah, that I wasn't. Was I was math. playing like, in the big leagues when I wasn't. Yeah. You didn't, you you hadn't, your husband hadn't introduced you to that world yet. <laughs> right. Exactly. Now I would go in now fully prepared. prepared. Oh my god! Yeah. I just love that. I love that story. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so People online are real. St- like, there's a lot of testosterone and a lot of, uh, yeah, confidence, and people can say whatever they want. The B minus though, like that's really like very funny, but very funny. like it and is so specific. Funny. Yeah, very. Like, specific. It actually hurt my feelings more than if it had been a C. I was just gonna say a B minus is worse than a C. I think in many 100%. ways, like a B minus is the most unsatisfying grade out there. Are you a tough grader? You know what? I give a lot of comments, um, but I think that I'm a more generous grader. Mm. I think English teachers can be – it's hard because our line is so subjective. Yeah. And so I'll go through the rubric and I'll be like, mm, should probably be an 85. And then I'll give them like an 87 so that like if there's a complaint, I'm like, it really should be an 85. <laughs> you know, like I have that like wiggle room where I'm like, yeah. okay, you want to talk about it? Um, but and every, yeah, every comment, it's going down a grade. It's going down a point. <laughs> Don't come crying to me. Um, yeah, but I, I feed, I can't help myself with feedback. Like, yeah. I'm like, they get the thing back and it's full of, I try not to use red ink because I know it's triggering, but I like, it's full of like purple ink, which is, they know. <laughs> is that a thing now? Red ink is, is, we're not supposed to use not actually but like i think they just associated that with like bad yeah okay right do you find that that like you know drive to give feedback carries over into like your marriage yeah do you you give matt a lot of good feedback (laughs) i do yeah and he needs it so i think that's i think that's great yeah i mean he actually like is really he'll be like thank you for that feedback i appreciate it i'm like do you he have like, any feedback for me? And he's like, no, because I'm, I'm not grading you. You're like, well, that makes one of us. Okay. <laughs> right. I'm like, thank one. you for that feedback. Oh, God. Yeah. 
Well, that's good because men typically don't love feedback. I think I yeah. I have found that. Um, I have found that so, as well. And I also found so I taught I've taught a few classes, uh, storytelling classes actually. A cool. few years ago at USF and their sports management program, I taught a storytelling class. Um, it was right before I had Collins. I think I taught for about three years, and I really struggled with grading. Like I could not give right. a bad grade, even for the kid. Like there was one kid who just, I mean, he showed up, but like just physically. And that was it. Like it was almost, I mean, the stuff that he turned in, I'm like, dude, you could have written anything (laughs) and I would have given you a good grade. And I just felt like, I'm like this, I feel like you're taunting me to see if I'll give you a bad grade. And I, I really struggled with it. So I'm, I don't think I'm cut out fully to be a teacher because I'm just too much. I don't know. Maybe I'm too much of a pushover or like, but, or I, I hated getting bad grades so badly. Right. Like I was so driven by getting good grades that I'm like, well, I, I know what getting a C would have done to me. Right. <laughs> not going right. to do that to somebody else. Yeah. Ultimately is part of it. I was going to say, because like, they don't necessarily care as much. Like I'm like, well, what will this do to their self-worth? And they're like, I don't care. Okay. I'm good. <laughs> like, clearly, because I didn't try. And I'm like, they'll think I think they're not smart. <laughs> no oh yeah it's that whole story we're telling ourselves but what Um, was your favorite part of teaching you you didn't like the grading but what did you like you know what's interesting is that I always thought I was going to be a teacher um so I was an English major in college and I you know was kind of I was like well I know English I'll (laughs) study that great Um, I can do that and I really always thought that I was going to be a teacher that was sort of my track and then ended up you know, I think my dad had planted the seed of sports broadcasting when I was younger. And I just always kind of was like, how, wh- what do I have to say? Like, how would, why would anyone listen to me talk about sports? Um, and here we are. So thank you, dad. Right. Shout out to you. Uh, but I really loved, I mean, there were so many things that I could say were hard about it. And then, but like the one thing that kept you coming back and that really is that you'd have that, those one or two students that you just like actually tell, could tell that you said something that meant something to them. Or I had a student reach out to me recently and said, yeah, you said something in one of your classes that I didn't even remember saying that. I'm like, are you sure I said that? And it totally changed my view on X, Y, or Z. And so I think the ability to have that space and it's pressure filled. Like I, I felt way more nervous walking into a classroom of 15 to 20 students than I ever really have felt maybe other than very early on in my career have felt being on camera. Because wow. it's that automatic feedback where yes. you're, it's vulnerable, like getting up in front of a room of people and being like, I am going, it is my job to teach you something and to help you grow and help you learn and help you think. And it's, you know, and not having been formally trained and like, how, you know, I have a lot of ideas about all this stuff and I think I've read enough, but I didn't really know how to teach. So those were, and those were four hour classes that I was oh teaching my gosh. and it was a lot. We did a lot of like small group time, <laughs> a lot of snack lot breaks. Of yeah. Small groups were amazing. <laughs> they enjoyed them too. But yeah, yeah. I think I, it's, and I'd, I'd ask you the same thing. Like what was, what is it that is so, that keeps coming back because there's a million reasons why. And I, I say this all the time and I'm not just saying this because it's you. I've said this on the air. I say it all the time. I think teachers are the most undervalued and underappreciated profession that there is like, and, and maybe nurses, but I'm like, if yeah. there is one profession that should be the highest paid, the most like sought after the, you know, put on a pedestal of like, these people are 
shaping like how our world is going to turn out because they're helping shape the people who are going to be in the world. That to me has always been, I think it's, it's one of the travesties of our culture is that we don't celebrate and honor teachers in the way that we should. Like we think we do, but we do not. I agree. Yeah. Like any, I saw something that was like any job that has a like appreciation day or appreciation week, you just know that you're not being paid enough. (laughs) So true. Like secretary or executive assistant appreciation day. You're like, cool. So you're underpaid. Uh Uh-huh. So true. Yeah. Yeah. No, every day should be teacher appreciation day or they should just freaking pay teachers more. That also would, would help. Um, But what is, yeah. What do you love about it? Yeah. I mean, I think the highest highs, like um, just that feeling of being, of it clicking for a student. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, sometimes you just like throw absolutely everything you have at the class and see what sticks. And when it finally does stick, it's like this just incredible feeling. And I mean, kids are, they're so true like it's to your point of like that automatic feedback. Like I think all stand-up comics should test their routines in front of teenagers because they won't laugh if they don't think it's funny. Like there's no sympathy laughter that happens. Like they're like you know this um from experience. Oh I, one time I had like an out-of-body experience when I was singing along to schoolhouse rock because I thought that they were also gonna sing and they didn't. And I just like kept doing I was like looking at myself from above being like this is happening in real time and like not one kid saved me they weren't like yeah (laughs) conjunction junction they were like this is really embarrassing for you but I appreciate that like because then you know that when they're when they say something good it's coming from it's real (laughs) there's none of that like that coworker is like always complimenting my sweater, but I think maybe they hate it. <laughs> it's just real. It's so, real. Oh, you know yeah. what? You're right. I that, I love that about teenagers is that what yeah. you see is is what you get. How did yeah. that scene end, by the way, that you sing? <laughs> I think I let them go early. <laughs> it was like a terrible, like they were like, cool, if we make her feel bad, she'll let us go to lunch. Maybe you guys have a small group to get to. It's my work here is done for the day it's like review the parts of speech Um, for homework isn't it though but you you are a very witty and funny person and I imagine and I felt this when I taught like I'd say something that I thought was gonna be funny and there was nothing and then I'd say something another time and they would get a reaction I'd be like you guys thought you guys don't not have a good sense of humor (laughs) yes also that (laughs) you guys are not nearly as funny as I am clearly right right yeah you have to think that otherwise it's just so crushing (laughs) that's a story that's important to tell yourself yeah exactly um okay well and i do want to talk about stories and this is something that we talk about with chantal like again as as kind of the crux of what we're doing here is revealing and helping people understand that their stories matter and and the power of stories and even when you and i were first talking when i called you on the phone for the first time was kind of talking through this idea i felt like you just had such a beautiful way of describing why stories are important and why they are powerful. And you alluded to it a little bit and how you've kind of fell in love with them. But if I were to ask you that simple question, like why are stories important? What, what would you say? Yeah. I mean, I think they breed empathy is what I would say. Like we, it's really empowering 
to know that your story matters. And it's also really empowering to know that your story isn't the only one that matters. Um, because then what's left, the only thing that's left there is is kindness and compassion. Um, so the more that I've read, the more it's I feel the wiser I feel. I don't think that I am wise, but I think that there is wisdom. I'm getting wiser because of the experiences that I've had and the things that I've read. And I can't meet everyone and I can't travel everywhere, but I can I can absorb the stories of people that I'll never meet. So I love that. Do you think that your students like at what age do people start to realize or do you think that innately we knew as kids and, and younger that we were better at understanding how important stories were and we lose it as we get to adults? I think that we lose it as we get to adults to some extent. I mean, it's like there's this idea of like the soft, like soft subjects and those subjects are often the humanities, right? Like mm -hmm. that this is like a more touchy feely subject, but no one's like, I'm not going to read a book to my kid because that's soft, right? Like, it's like, like, but like, if they're interested in stories, they're not going to make any money when they're older. So it's just like, why do we suddenly stop thinking they're important? I don't know. I, I think that we, we have some work to do on that. I cannot wait to tell Chris tonight when he goes to read Collins and Cora bedtime story that he's soft. I'm like, oh, <laughs> read another, read another story. You soft. <laughs> so soft. It's not going to make them money. You're yeah. teaching them. <laughs> Should be going over spreadsheets. Right. Does it, does it matter that like, oh my God, I'm thinking of like the 800 bad books that I read, like that, that, that not, not quite narwhal doesn't know if he's a narwhal or like a sea unicorn, like, but it does matter. It and does. It does. Exactly. It does matter. Oh yeah. man. Um, okay. So I think there's so many more things that I'm excited to be able to dive into with you throughout the course of the season and many conversations to come, but I think I'll leave it. We'll do a moment of gratitude. Um, but before we get to that, and I think this is a, it was a question that I asked you the other day when we were doing a recording that I think most parents will want to hear. What do you wish as a teacher that every parent could understand innately? Like if you could just take an idea and put it in their brain and have them process it and understand it, what would it be? Um, yeah, I think it would be to see their kid more holistically from a more 360 degree view. Um, that's always really hard. Uh, as a teacher, as a parent, you're only seeing what's in front of you. Um, I'm only seeing that student for the periods that I teach them. You're only seeing them, you know, on the weekends, in the morning, in the afternoon, and in, in some cases, like for a few hours because you have really busy schedules. And so just understanding that, like, if your kid is failing in one area, they might be succeeding in another. And this, the area where they're succeeding might be a little bit less obvious to you. Like it might be that they were a really good friend that day and maybe they didn't do well in their math test or they scored a hockey goal that they um, were really proud of, but they, you know, forgot to bring in uh, their lunch. And so they, they're hungry, whatever it is that, that, that you can't see, um, kids are dealing with a lot and and we should be celebrating the whole student as opposed to just like their certain successes. I love that. That is, uh, and that is true for all of us, right? Like you just, I think sometimes you forget to think about all the stuff that people are dealing with um, right. in, in their lives and you see through them, like whatever version of the story you're telling yourself. Okay. Uh, moment of gratitude. Who are you giving a shout out to tonight? 
Gosh, that's, uh, you know, uh, this is going to sound really cliche um, and cheesy, but I would like to say thank you to you. And I've already said it, but just for this opportunity, because I, you know, I've, I've now had the chance to listen to a really amazing episode with Chantal that felt like free therapy and, um, you know, just for, for making me feel like I was capable and, and for listening to my story. I really appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you for that. I obviously am so grateful for you for all of the reasons that I've talked about and just you not being totally weirded out and making me feel like there's something to this whole idea. It means a lot. And just to have someone that you feel like you're in it with is mm-hmm. really powerful. So thank you for that. And I'm just going to do a collective shout out to both of our husbands. So I know we yeah, okay. like, <laughs> Thanks for I covering feel like that's like the, my easiest, base. <laughs> the easiest ones to forget. And we'll probably we'd go through a whole season without ever mentioning them as we get to like obscure people from like our first grade classes that had an impact on us. But I'm like, I've run out of people to think. <laughs> yeah, I can't think of anybody else. I know there's somebody, but uh, no, but Chris, my husband is is just like a godsend to my life. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine. I mean, I wouldn't have my life if it wasn't for him and what he's brought to it. He was like the answer to everyone that I hope that I would ever meet. And mm-hmm. he is the best dad and he's an unbelievable husband and he is like the rock of our family. And I just appreciate him so much. And um, when I first started dating him, it was kind of like I was breaking up him and Mac <laughs> because they were living together at the time. You you know, my husband and your husband were living together when we first started dating and he was in LA. And I remember feeling very much like, I'm taking Chris away from somebody who I don't know that he'll ever feel about me the way that he feels about this other person. So (laughs) once, and Mac, I didn't know if Mac was ever like Mac had this like view that there was somebody out there and I, we both wanted him to find it so badly. And then he freaking found it and that's you. And now we're doing this together and it's amazing how the world comes full circle. But I will say if our husbands ever leave us for each other, like I think you and I could have a nice life together. Yeah, it'll be it'll be like Grace and Frankie. Yeah, it'll be great. Exactly. Actually, it'd be that sounds kind of great. That sounds kind of fun. I'm up for Buffalo. I've lived in upstate New York before. I'm like totally. I'm I'm down. I think I can have the house. Yeah, maybe we'll like summer in Buffalo, and then we can just move over. We'll to another place somewhere. Maybe in California or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh, well, yeah. All right. I love you, Betsy. You're the best. I love um, you. Thank you. We will more to come. And thanks as always, everybody, for listening. We're so excited to have you on this journey with us. Make sure you review and rate the podcast. It really does help the algorithm. Uh, and we'll be back with a lot more, a lot more stories next week. See you then. <laughs>